and welcome everyone in person to Greg Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Agro. And today is the last Sunday of our series, Romance. Some say, aww. I know, terrible, terrible. But this has been such a great series that we've been going through. Um, and today specifically, we're going to be talking uh, about the topic centered around marriage. And our, our message today is called Better Together. Better Together. And I want to emphasize that what, just like I've been saying for each week, the principles that we talk about today are multifaceted. It means that it applies to marriage 100%, but it can also apply to so many other areas of your life. It can, it can be applied to friendships. It can be applied to uh, a dating relationships. It can be applied to engagements. I'm looking at you, Jonah. Um, it, it can be applied in workplaces. There's so, uh, a lot of these principles are universal and they will help you prepare, especially for marriage. Uh, I want to start off with a thought that when it comes to marriage, rather than looking for someone that you can live with, look for someone that you can't live without. That's sweet, right? Let me say that one more time. Rather than looking for someone you can live with, look for someone that you can't live without. Marriage within Christianity is so much more than a license to have sex. It is one of the most meaningful and powerful relationships you could ever have in your life. And it could be a living heaven or it can be a living hell, depending on how we treat it. And I, I want to share this verse in Mark chapter 10. Verse 6 through 9, it says, But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Emphasis on the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus, he sees marriage as this powerful unity between two people. And, and as a disclaimer, I've shared throughout uh, the series as well, that as I'm talking about this, we're not digging up the past. We're not trying to confuse anything that we've already, uh, when it comes to previous relationships, we're not talking about what about if I've been divorced. Let's just let the past be the past and look fresh to where we are right now. Even Paul says that. He says, however you came to Christ, be that way in Christ. It, 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 so what, in the same way with your relationships, however you came to Christ, don't worry about trying to go years in the past. Let's just start fresh right now. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So let, that, let there be no confusion on that topic. So Jesus is emphasizing that this relationship, a marriage relationship, is, is one of the most powerful aspects of two people becoming one. And think about this. The way that Jesus describes his relationship to the church is through the example of marriage. So he's emphasizing that one of the strongest relationships that we have here on earth is what he describes his relationship to the church. I think the reason he chose that is because it is, in fact, one the, the, the most potentially strongest relationship you could ever experience in your life. It is a maker or breaker in our world. And the What's interesting about marriages is that in our culture, there's, there's like kind of multiple projections of it. At one moment, you'll see a movie like The Vow. Anyone see the movie The Vow? Me and Lauren, when we first got married, we went to Blockbuster, rip, and we, we, would, we, would, all, we would choose 
Um, one movie each, and I'll choose a third movie for, the, for after Lauren fell asleep during her movie. And she chose this movie, The Vow. I would usually choose like an action movie with a lot of violence and murder and you know crazy stuff. And I was like, yeah. And Lauren chose The Vow. <laughs> and we're watching The Vow, right? And we're, we're, we're like a quarter of it. I hope I don't spoil this movie for y'all, but spoilers, warning. <laughs> I won't share the extreme plot, but there's some, some significant things that happen in the movie. And it is about this couple that had just got married. It's like they were newlyweds. And I was like, that's like us. And something tragic happens. And I'm there like pulling back tears like, oh my God. And I'm like thinking my, my emotional head, we're having a moment right now. Like this is, like, is going to be the first movie that we're like crying together with. And I'm like tearing up and I look over at Lauren and she is knocked out, completely asleep. <laughs> and I have to finish the movie. I just can't just stop halfway. It's like holding in a sneeze. I, I got to just finish it. And so I watched this whole movie crying and all by myself. And then years later, she's like, oh, should we watch that movie? It's like, we already did that. <laughs> you fell asleep. But see, our culture will project that marriage is this beautiful love story at one moment. And then the next moment, it projects that marriage is the worst hell you could ever trap yourself into. That once you get married, you stop having sex. Once you get married, you stop having fun. It, it's just like the worst tragedy to get married. And what I want to project to you is the same line that I've been saying is that marriage is one of the most powerful relationships you could ever have in your life if you treat it right. You ever heard that terminology, the grass is always greener on the other side? I remember uh, being a fly on the wall of someone getting marriage advice and they were told the grass is always greener because the, the husband was really not happy where he was at and he was kind of playing with adultery and all that. and. And he was told, the grass is always greener on the other side. Because he, he was so infatuated with this other girl. So it's so much better than my wife. My wife is blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, the grass over here is burnt. The funny thing about that analogy is that you have the ability to water your own grass. You have the ability of how your yard is kept. And what I have found over the, the 10 years of me being uh, in ministry, me being married, is that a lot of people take better care of their yard than their own marriage. They're disciplined in taking care of their yard. They're disciplined in how often they water it, how often they, uh, they take care of it. I mean, meticulous detail. Where you stand back and it's like, wow, this is beautiful. But with their marriage, like, oh, this is horrible. The grass is burnt. Something's wrong with her. Well, let's, let's just think for a moment. What if there's... Of our part to play in it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Uh, the first point I want us to go through is when it comes to trying to reunite our marriages, trying to strengthen it, trying to make it better, is that you should go through the motions. Go through the motions. Real love is showing love even without the feelings of love. Y'all like that? It's kind of like a little Dr. Seuss thing, right? <laughs> Real love is showing love even without the feelings of love. Look at what Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13 says. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. 
and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, you might think this verse is, well, that's not talking about marriage. That's just talking about the, the church. If this is what God is suggesting for how we treat our brother and sisters in Christ, how much more should we apply it to the most meaningful relationship in our lives? When, it's, when it says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically, is, is suggesting that loving your neighbor is serving the Lord. How much more is it loving our spouse, serving the Lord? Y'all feel what I'm saying? It, if we were to apply the same ideas of just basic Christianity, just this basic kindness and loving one another, regardless of any conditions to our marriages, our marriages could be a lot more hopeful. And when it says be patient in trouble and keep on praying, does that not sound like a great piece of advice for a marriage that's going through the rocky place? Is that not a great suggestion? Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And let me, let me just be transparent with you guys. In the moments of my own marriage, in the, in the times that we have gone, it's almost like, it's not that you just get into one fight, but it's almost like you go through that season to where you're like consistently fighting and you don't even necessarily know why. See, that's going through trouble. That's going through trouble. And what I have found is when I stop and recognize like, man, we're just fighting all the time. I know it's hard to believe. We have like this perfect marriage. And I, and I recognize that. And rather than trying to be right in our frustrations with each other, I take a step back and think, I need to pray for the unity of our marriage. And when I pray for the unity of my marriage, it changes my heart and how I respond to our next argument. It changes my heart and how I respond in the way that I talk or even the way that I see her. Because now my heart is set on unity and praying through the trouble rather than, well, she's wrong and I'm right. Go through the motions. Those moments... It doesn't always feel, you don't always feel like praying for your marriage. You don't always feel like praying for your spouse. But the scripture says when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Your marriage needs help. We should pray for it. Go through the motions. What I'm really saying is be disciplined in your love for one another. I mean, I'll go to the gym and work out. Okay, it's a, that's all right. It's a new year. <laughs> and so with even just our own personal health. When it comes to working out, I don't always feel like going to the gym, but when I discipline myself to where it's important to me, I'll go to the gym even though I don't feel like it. Apply that to our marriage. Even when I don't feel like getting flowers, maybe I should get flowers just to try to invest love into my marriage, into my relationship. Now, let's, let's emphasize this on love and growth for a second. Love and growth, love, is an action and a choice. And our love should never stop growing. Our love should never stop growing, just like our marriage should never stop getting better. If we were to, to really grasp love is an action and a choice, that means I, am, I have a, a choice to love my spouse even when I don't feel like it. Some people, we, uh, when we put more effort into other things rather than our own marriage, we shouldn't, we shouldn't act surprised or confused when we're having problems. We need to invest. We need to discipline our love within our marriage because marriage is something special that should be fostered and cherished. And 
we should make our spouse our priority in life. Our spouse should be our priority. What is a what is a typical marriage look like? Especially once you have kids, this is a, a normal scene. Is say dad works, husband works, full time job, mom is at home with the kids, dad gets a day off. I just need a day to myself and relax. And they go and clean up the yard. It's been all day. They're one day off. They go clean up the yard. They go fix everything in the house. They do all their honeydew lists that they've even contrived, and. And then they go back to work again. They get another day off. Oh, I, I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, I never get to work out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they, they just think about themselves. What am I going to do for me? And then, I, man, at first, it's like for a couple months, maybe even a couple years, it's like, well, you know, the wife might say, well, I know that, you know, he works a lot. He needs that time to himself. I get it. But after a while, it gets tiresome. You get exasperated of not being uh, given any attention. You get exasperated of not being given any love to where you start to feel like your relationship is more like roommates that hardly see each other than actually people who are in love with each other. How did that happen? Well, that happens through neglectment because we let other things take priority of our marriage. I'll tell you that I think that there's sometimes where it's like, you got to do what you got to do. Yes. But that can only be an excuse for so long. So there, it has to get to a point where your marriage is what you got to do. Your marriage is what you got to work on. Regardless of whatever else has to be done in the house, there's just times where even if you're behind at work, even if you're behind on everything else, if you want your marriage to work, you're going to have to invest the same kind of effort and time. Even half. If you were to invest half of the time and effort, into your spouse that you do in your work, your marriage would flourish. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Go through the motions. And I've said it before. Flowers are representation of love and flowers always die. Right? It's a perfect example of love because it shows that love has to be continually given. One I love you doesn't last forever. You have to continually show love because flowers fade. And just like y'all's first date, where y'all's second date, whatever, that moment where that spark was birthed, that will fade eventually. And you need to invest those flowers of love again. You need to impart love again and again and again. That's why for me, I still get my wife flowers, even though we're 10 years married, because I want to ex express love and romance even till we're old and decrepit i want to show that i want to be a, that that old grandparent that's still making out with grandma on the couch grossing everybody out come give me a little kiss real quick i i want to be romantic with my spouse into my old age and if i want that if i want that kind of love story then I need to act like I'm living that kind of love story now. It, it's not what you do all the time, but how you do it. And romance looks different to everybody. It, it not, uh, you know, like my grandmother, God rest her soul, she was, a, she was like an old Southern belle. <laughs> and she wouldn't even paint her nails or nothing. Like my, my, that side of my family, they're all like cowboys and stuff. And my grandparents, they would sit on opposite sides of the couch. They, they would have literally two of their own chairs 
And he sat here, and she sat over there. <laughs> and they're, again, like real old school cowboys and stuff. It, but I remember whenever I would visit them, and my grandfather would go to bed at like 5 in the evening, <laughs> get up at 5 in the, in the morning. And whenever he was going to bed, he'd be walking in. And I'm telling you, my grandfather, I don't think he's ever spoken to me more than 60 seconds when he was alive. I'd show up and I, to, his, to his office, like, hey, how's it going, Grandpa? And before, like, as soon as like that 60-second mark would hit, he'd say, well, you better get going. <laughs> oh, okay, Grandpa. He's <laughs> this very man of few words he was. And as, as, as cold-shouldered as he was, as, as much of a rough neck as he was, every, every night when I was there, when he would go to sleep and she would stay up, he'd be walking by and he'd stop at her little chair and he'd lean over and give her a kiss. And I, the, her look on her face, she would just light up. And it was, something, it was something so small, but something so precious. And for me, that was their form of romance, right? Whatever your form of romance is, I, you need to know that it needs to happen. Maybe she, didn't, she wasn't one to get flowers, but I'll tell you what, I think that no matter what, I think a woman would be happy regardless if, the, uh, if you got her flowers. It, it's just something special. It's a gesture. And this is uh, us men, right? I'm giving you all some great advice. And whatever it is, though, whatever form of romance you want to show, make it a discipline of showing on a regular basis because flowers fade. And I'll also tell you when it comes to marriage that you should have sex every week. Amen, right? <laughs> Amen. You should have sex every week because there's something unique and special about sex. Because it's hard to have sex. I mean, let me rephrase it. You can have sex while being frustrated, frustrated with each other. It's called angry sex, right? But by the end of it, it seems like it just resolves something. It's like there's something special that happens even when you do it in a bad mood with each other. And it's because there's that intimacy that happens. It's, just, it's, it's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. That's what we see all throughout scripture is that it's a spiritual act when we unite ourselves with another person like that. And if you were to really uh, take this, what I'm saying serious, the idea of having sex every week, I personally would suggest twice a week. I think that's a much more uh, healthier because doing it twice a week <laughs> I see that husband like <laughs> doing it twice a week it's just like that much more special there's even a book written by uh, Ed Young Pastor Ed Young and he wrote a book called Sex Experiment and I remember going to this this leadership conference this pastor's conference years ago and I was like probably I don't know like 20 22 maybe we I was just a year married to Lauren, or two years married to Lauren, and we went to this conference, and he had just come out with this book called The Sex Experiment. And we went up to a table where they had a book, and my wife, it, my wife and like the other people we went from church went to the, book, uh, to the table, and they're like, oh, what is this about? And it was this young girl, and she's like, oh, it's about sex experiment. It's about having sex with your spouse seven days, uh, and uh, seven times at once a week for seven days, it, and it will grow your marriage. And I'm telling you, I could not stop laughing. 
I was trying so hard to be serious and mature. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like giggling all over the place because the thought of it, it was just like, it, it just sounded so funny. <laughs> but truly, I'm telling you, we tried it. And it is a lot easier said than done. Even before kids. That was before kids. I mean, you're talking about every day after a long day at work, you're tired, you're exasperated, you're not even necessarily frisky. It's like, well, let's, let's have sex. And there's just something that's like, where it's like, well, I guess we don't really have to today. I'm telling you that that same feeling for that, that same feeling I would describe as what grows into the other areas of our marriage. It's where, well, I guess we don't really have to go on a date. We're good. And see that going on and on and on and, and leaking into every part of our marriage where we're good. But then life gets hard, you start having kids, and then work starts changing, and that we're good turns very quickly into we're not good, and now that's why. Notice how the reason that you're not intimate is because we're good, and then later this, the reason that you're not intimate is because we're not okay, we're not good. It, it is something just spiritually special about being united with your wife. And I would, I would really, I would, I would, uh, I would project to you you're married to try it out and see how difficult it actually is to, to do this little sex experiment, but also how much it will actually bless your marriage if you do it. Now, I, I want to um, go into our next point, which is talk some more. So we talked about going through the motions, and now we're, we're going to talk about talk some more. Your level of victory is dependent on your level of transparency. Marriages fight, couples fight, it's normal. And look what Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17 says. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, I want to emphasize a couple things here. First, again, this is what Jesus is saying just with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How much more should we apply this to our marriage? It's saying, if y'all are fighting, go and talk to them. That alone... Is counterintuitive to most marriage fights. We cold shoulder each other until we, we eventually just don't want to be lonely anymore. We won't resolve the fight. We'll just continue to, to block each other out until we feel too lonely. And then we'll just be like, all right, let's, like, let's just move on. Let's just reset. Jesus is saying, talk to each other and talk it out. It, and, and I think that this is a really powerful aspect of communication is often ignored within marriages. And the next step, it says, if you still can't work it out, then go see a marriage counselor. Go to the church and have some people talk, help be a mediator for you guys to work on things. That's what this verse is saying. It's saying, talk it out with someone else so that y'all can find some, some clarity and be able to see each other's perspective because y'all aren't clicking on something. Someone's not understanding the other person. Maybe you should go see a marriage counselor. And then it says, if they still refuse... Treat them as they were a pagan or a tax collector. At first glance, when I first read this, I was like, dang. <laughs> but how did Jesus treat the tax collectors and pagans? Was he actually not the most gentle to them? 
Did he not go into their houses? Was he rude to them? No, that was to the religious Pharisees that he was sharp and coarse to. But to the tax collector, to the pagan, to the quote-unquote sinner, he was the most gentle to. He was the most humble to. Because what he's saying in this verse is that if they're still not wanting to resolve something, then perhaps there's something deeper within their heart that is a wedge or a wall from them experiencing breakthrough in their lives. There's something else that is causing this self-destruction of the relationship. So rather than making it about between you two, maybe help them to resolve the issue in their heart. Is that not what Jesus did with each tax collector, pagan, sinner, whatever? He helped them to find resolution within themselves as they found the truth in Christ. See, this is a powerful example for us to follow. I would urge you within marriages to talk about things that you are really feeling and to be each other's support for emotions. A lot of times we, we have these expectations, these unspoken expectations. We have these, these small resentments in our heart to where we don't voice our frustration, our emotional frustration within our marriage because we think, you know, it's fine. I don't want to fight. Let's just move on. And, and so there's usually one or even both of people in the, uh, the relationship that will suppress their emotions. They'll just bottle it up. And that's the best thing we can do, right? Is to bottle up our emotions. No, what happens is you might be able to do that for so long. You might be able to do that for some months. You might be able to do that for even some years, but you're talking about five years of bottling up your emotions. You're going to blow up one day. There's going to be a day where you just can't take it anymore. And they're going to blow up and I'm like, what the hell? Where is this coming from? You didn't, never told me this. What do you mean I always do that? Why are you just now telling me? And see, it creates this, such a sharp dissension because they had no idea that, th that you were just building up this passive aggressive resentment over the years. And I'm telling you, when I remember the, the moment where I finally said, like, man, I, I think I need to actually talk about my emotions. I used to never really understand that. Like, you know, in movies where, like, it will show the girl, like, you just need to talk to me. Just tell me what you're feeling. And I was like, I, feel, I thought I'd talk about things. But then I realized I'll just suppress what I really wanted to talk about. And so I started trying to practice sharing what was really on my heart. And you know what? It, it took me several years. It took me five years to where I finally started sharing what was on my heart. And I'll tell you that when you decide to start actually sharing your feelings, what's on your heart, it's going to take practice. Because the first couple times you do it, you're most likely going to end up uh, arguing more or fighting more. Because one, it's completely new. It's different. Two, you're, it's hard to articulate exactly what you're feeling. It's hard to articulate certain emotions. And you've never really practiced this before. You never really try to share your heart and your emotions in this way. And so when you're trying to get the words out and you're going to experience them not understanding what you're trying to say. And then you're going to get frustrated and then they're going to get frustrated because they don't understand why you're frustrated. And what happens is like, you know, just never mind. I, I, I call on you to endure, to continue to practice, because you will get better at being able to share your emotions, but you just always got to remember that you 
both are trying to work things out for a better future. You're both trying to work things out because deep down you love each other. Y'all love each other. And if you feel like you don't feel that love anymore, you got to remember that love is an action and a choice. And that if you felt it before, you definitely can feel it again. And practice sharing your heart. Practice sharing your emotions. And you will get better. You will get better. And you have to be able to learn how to trust your spouse in those, with, with your emotions. And you got to be able to learn how to, how to be able to continually practice and, and endure. Now, I'm talking about transparency and in, intimacy. I want to also talk about understanding and communication. You need to understand that you most likely communicate and perceive things differently than your spouse. You perceive things differently than your spouse. For, for Lauren, my wife, the way that she receives love is often through like acts of service. Like when I do the dishes or if I clean the house, she's like, you shouldn't have. <laughs> for me, I, I receive love through gifts. Like it's just, I'm not materialistic, but it's just like, that's just how I work. Like I, when I get, even when Lauren just brings me like, a flashlight. <laughs> she didn't give me a flashlight at the at, at the store. I'm like, oh, you got this for me. <laughs> this is so cool. It's like just the it's it's learning how to communicate with each other, how to show each other love, and it also goes into how you guys perceive apologies. See, for me, the way that I perceive like apology, the way that I want to hear an apology, it's not the way that I consciously think of wanting to receive apology, but it's the way my heart is just geared towards receiving apology is that I'm a very, like a, a, a logical thinking person. I think of like plus and minuses. And so the way that my heart wants to receive an apology is I, I'm sorry that for this and I won't do this. That's how I want to receive it. It's like very like brass tacks for Lauren. It, it's it, there's more of a, a sincerity. She wants to feel the, the sincerity of it and just saying, I'm sorry. I don't want you to feel that way. That, that's how she wants to receive it. When I say, look, I'm sorry that that happened. I'll try not to do this anymore. Like, well, do you mean it? <laughs> but do you even mean that? And when she says it back, when she says, I'm sorry to mean to make you feel that way. It's like, yeah, but are you going to keep doing it? <laughs> I, see, understanding once you understand that you guys are, are, are just communicating in different ways, it helps you to perceive even apologies differently. Because then, you're, then you, don't, you don't reject their apology because you know that they're talking in the language that they know. And that when they're apologizing, regardless of how you want to hear it, that they are being sincere in telling you sorry. But so often we apologize to each other, but we reject it. Because we don't it's not in the way that we wanted it to be communicated. I'm digging deep, right? Notice how these things can be applied in the workplace. Just that, that apology, that, this apology part. Do you see how so often we have disgruntled work environments because we don't know how to say sorry to each other in the right language? And all of this can be applied to every area of relationship in our lives. And communication can be one of the number one problems within our marriages. And we need to understand how the, uh, the other person actually communicates and processes things. For Lauren, she processes things emotionally instantly. 
She, she feels her emotions to the, the situation right away. For me, I have a delayed reaction to where I, I will hear something and I'll think about it and then I'll feel it later. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that's why initially like, okay, and I'll just process it. And maybe my initial reaction as a man is to get angry right away. And then I process my emotions later because my anger is that defense mechanism from an argument. And then I'll actually be able to process my emotions after my defense mechanism goes down. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, <laughs> we, we have to learn how we just understand that we process things differently. When me and Lauren first got married, and, and I'm like, I just need a minute. And she's like, what do you mean? Let's just talk about it right now. I was like, I need to be able to process my emotions. And I, I just can't do that right now while my, my defense mechanism is up. I just need a minute to process what, what it is that's actually causing me to feel. And for her, I had to learn how to be able to give her something because it's like, you don't want to talk about it right now. And it made her feel like completely disconnected to, to our, our relationship. And it made her feel uh, scared and fearful and even just like the unknown. Like, what do you mean? What do you need to think about? And I had to learn how to be clear in, in my, in like giving security to the relationship while also saying like, I need a minute to think and process my emotions. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Now let's end with, with this final thought. And that is we think, therefore we are, we think, therefore we are your feelings always follow your thoughts and actions. Your feelings always follow your thoughts and actions. I, I have found that. And there's so much like a uh, recent psychological and neuroscience study that goes into this, this form of thinking that the way that we think literally determines how we feel and that when we think, I want to apply it to our marriages. When we think constantly to ourselves, I hate my marriage. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. We, we continue to, to repeat those things in our minds, we end up feeling like we're not happy. We're not satisfied in our marriage. And I want to tell you that the Bible says that we are able to take our thoughts captive, that we are able to, uh, it's, it's one thing to have a thought, but it's another thing to replay the thought over and over in your head. It makes me think about addiction. I struggled with addiction for a long time and I never would necessarily say that I'm free from addiction. Because the minute I think that, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so the same way with addiction, the way it works is when you get a temptation, you have this thought. And you have two choices. You can let that thought repeat itself. I just really want to try it. Just, just one more time, one more time, one more time. And if you allow that thought to continue to repeat in your mind, you will definitely use again. But when you have that thought, and then you reject it right away, and say, no, that's not who I am anymore. I don't have to think that. I don't have to do that. Well, that's how you find victory, by controlling your thoughts. The same way with our marriages, when it comes to having a happy marriage or an unhappy marriage, to being satisfied, to being unsatisfied. You have to learn how to control your thoughts. And I think that we have to learn how to have a sacrifice to our conditions. It's hard to not have conditions with love. Like we think that we understand unconditional love, but I think that true unconditional love is only seen in our relationship with God. 
that he has this unconditional love, meaning that he loves us regardless of what we have done. Now we're, we have this, this grace to be able to go to him through Jesus Christ. When I think about my kids, I, I think that's the closest aspect that I can really understand when it comes to unconditional love. Because I think I, I, it, it's like even I've experienced even when we were in, uh, fostering teenagers of what it feels like to have them literally spit in your face and love them anyway. It's hard, but I, I can grasp that. But even still, it's like, that's like there's moments of like, in the moment, get the hell out of my house. <laughs> See, you can feel differently in the moment, but God's unconditional love, that's something rare. It's something so pure and special. When I even think about my wife, I want to say there's, a, there's this unconditional love. But if she were to cheat on me, I think I might feel some resentment there. there there's, that love could be conditioned in the moment based off of my, our interaction. Even last, this morning, I, was, I had a, a devotion time in the morning. And my, my little girl, Joy, she woke up. And so she was sitting in my front office room. And I just got done reading the Bible. And Lauren came in. She's like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I was just praying and stuff. And she's like, I had the craziest dream last night. It's like, what happened? Like, I had a dream that you cheated on me. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's silly. She's like, yeah, do I need to see your phone? <laughs> and, and she was telling me the end of the dream. She was like, well, I guess our marriage is done. I was like, oh, just like that? <laughs> She's like, well, that's what, that's what you did in the dream. I was like, oh, you mean that in the dream you were going to leave? <laughs> but see, I, I share that just to, to the thought of we have conditions even with the most important relationship in our lives. We have these conditions. And when it comes to having a happy marriage, we have to learn how to sacrifice some of those conditions because we've portrayed that love, our marriage is like a contract. They give 50% and I give 50%. And then if they break the agreement, then I'm out too. If they don't show love, then I'm not gonna show love. And, and so we create this, this crazy cycle to where we end up resenting each other and we never end up getting better because we're not willing to sacrifice something of ourselves because we don't trust them to fulfill their end of the bargain. See, that's how a contract works. But God describes marriage as a covenant. In a covenant, there's like the spiritual implication to it. And it's what, what God is projecting to us that we should give 100% of ourselves to the other person. That you don't even need to reserve some for yourself because you can trust the other person to give 100% of themselves to you. That you just worry about them trusting that they're gonna worry about you. And that this exchange of love is, is more beneficial than giving 50-50. This is the best example I, I could think of. And I, uh, it was uh, for this last Valentine's Day, we, uh, we did that bake sale, right? Great turnout. Thank you guys for participating in that. And we, we scheduled all of the deliveries and pickups on Valentine's Day. And for, for my marriage, I usually always do something for Valentine's Day for Lauren. It's just like we always at least get each other something, do a card, or, you know, something. Go out, anything. And it was the 13th, the night before, and Lauren, and all we've talked about was the bake sale. And Lauren, so like, we're getting ready for bed. And she's like, so are we going to even do anything tomorrow? And I played it out like, oh man, I totally forgot. And I had this whole surprise for her the next day to where I got her a gift. I, I made her a personal card. And on the outside of the card, I wrote, did you really think I would forget about you? 
super sweet. It's like notebook stuff, you know, it's like <laughs> super romantic. And, and then that morning when she saw that, like this, this whole ensemble that I, that I made her and I even like scheduled for her hair appointment. I got, I was like, I already got the appointment scheduled for you. We're going to go out on Thursday night, like get ready. And, and she was like, just so overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you, you got me. And she was like, now I have to get you something though. I didn't get you anything. <laughs> and for me, I, I, I didn't even, it was like I had made my mind that all I wanted to do was take care of her. And in her reaction, you know what she did that day? She went out and got me a gift. See, it, it's a simple example, but it shows that when you allow yourself to just love, unconditionally, not worried about what you're going to get in return, there's this, this reaction effect to where like, oh, well, I love you too. I want to show my love too. And they react to your love. Y'all did what I'm saying? I want to share this last verse. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's starting in verse 4 through 7. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. Does that not the opposite of that sound like every marriage that's going through the rocks? I mean, when your marriage is on the rocks, you're not patient with each other. You're no longer kind. Jealousy is an ongoing thing. It, we, we end up being rude to one another. We think we're right, they're wrong, that's pride. We demand our own way because we don't trust their way. We, we get irritable with one another and we start keeping count on the scoreboard of who's right, who's wrong. See, it's the opposite of what love is described as scripture. It goes on to say, it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. And it is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. This is a powerful example of what love is. And so often what I see when we've counseled marriage uh, uh, couples is that they get to this point where love feels absent. And because that feeling isn't there, they think that it's out of their control. We fell out of love. Love is an action and a choice. And what happens is when you don't feel those love feelings, you start to doubt the beginning. You start to doubt what the moments when you first got married. Every single time, I'm telling you, every single time that we've counseled couples, they doubt how they got married. Well, you know, we were just so young. We, we shouldn't have got married that, that way. It was only because we were pregnant. It was only because of this. It was only because of that. We should have never got married in the first place. Every couple doubts the beginning, regardless of what the story was like. I'm telling you, that's a lie. It's a lie. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful. Regardless of what you've been through, love can be hopeful in the darkest situation. And when you let love be an action and a choice, it's able to endure every circumstance. I'm talking about every circumstance. I've seen some couples to where when they met with us, I'm talking about countless times where they met with us and it was like, even when they were talking about it, I'm like, 
Shoot, I don't know. Maybe I'll say, I don't know about this one. And then see them completely restored and redeemed. I mean, there's, there's so much hope for reconciliation. Same goes for family members, for friendships, for, for parents, for kids, especially for our walk with God. See, our walk with God, we go through some stuff and we start to doubt our beginning moment with Christ. And we start to doubt what we experienced and what we felt when it came to that first moment we found Jesus in our lives. And we start to doubt, like, well, I was just going through a really hard time. I was just desperate. I just thought I felt God, but it wasn't really God. I was just emotional. And we start to doubt the beginning. What I project to you is to not lose heart and know that God's love for you is unconditional. That he extends his love to you right now. And I think that a lot of us, we go through the motions to where we start to not feel that flutter in our hearts. We don't feel the tingly presence of God like we used to. And so we start to doubt God being in our lives. I would urge you, just take a moment, take a step back and know that right now, that if you desire to connect with God, you can. If you want to connect with God right now, you have the complete ability and grace to that he is not holding himself back from you. He's not trying to teach you a lesson and reserving himself from you. His love is described as an all-consuming fire. Is this beautiful exchange. And to know that God's love for you is the same right now than it was, uh, than it was at your worst moment. His love has never changed. It has always been this maximum capacity. So with that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and you feel like this tug on your heart, you've been feeling within this message that the aspect of your relationship with God has been on the rocks. And you want to just have this reset moment where you zone in and have this fresh engagement with Jesus. Maybe you've never even made a decision to really have this, this marriage vow with Christ. You've never made a decision to put your trust in him. And you want to do that today with every head bowed and eye closed. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. So just right there to yourself, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and acknowledge who he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start this relationship with him. See, marriage... It's really that simple. It's, it's built on this amazing foundation of love. But the act of actually bearing, being married is simply that. Having this genuine heart and saying, I do. If that's you, I want you to have that conversation with Jesus right now. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to him yourself. Now for the rest of you, if you feel like this message was on point for you today, you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and this is what you needed to hear. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. Holy Spirit, I pray that you finish what you started in each person's life. And I pray that you magnify yourself in their lives. That you would impart your spirit and your presence. And that you'd cause them to feel this fresh connection with you. In Jesus' name, amen. With all that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good day.